Hello and welcome to Day 3 Live, the live broadcast of Sunday morning service at Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. You can learn more about our ministry at day3church.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash d3church. We're glad you chose to listen today. We believe that God is waiting to speak to you. If you have any questions about today's message, please contact us. We're here to help. Now sit back and join us for the next few minutes. It's Day 3 Live, and it starts right now. Welcome to Day 3. If you're a guest with us this morning, we are very, very thankful that you're here with us today. And uh, my name is John Lewis. I am one of the pastors here, and uh, we want to welcome all of our mothers this morning. This is a great day. My mom is going to be here with us the next service, and I'm excited about that because my mom's not been here to visit in quite some time, especially with all that's been going on. And so uh, it's been great to spend time with her this weekend. But uh, I just want to reiterate what Pastor Lynn said uh, earlier today, and, and we just want to say thank you to all of you ladies, those of you who are moms those of you who are grandmothers, those of you who are experienced mothers and your children have gone on, and those of you who are brand new mothers and are just trying to figure things out, those of you who uh, maybe were never honored with the opportunity to have children of your own, but you have raised either adopted children or you've raised uh, children in the faith, uh, you've, you've, you've ministered to other people and raised people up um, to follow Jesus and, and to uh, serve their community. And so for all of you, wherever you fit into that, that gamut. We just want to say thank you to you this morning, and we honor you. Let's give them a round of applause. So I want to start off in in honor of Mother's Day. I want to start off with uh, uh, this graphic right here. It says, see, I told you. So that's how she does it. So this is uh, for all the super moms this morning. We want to say thank you to you. Uh, We're going to look at a few more of these. These are for you moms. Maybe you just need people to understand where you are this morning. Um, I'd like to try that with my kids. I don't know if I have enough clothespins to make that work, but uh, what about this one? Uh, When your kid says mom for the 745th time, and if you don't know this expression, okay, if you don't know that B-R-U-G-H, it's it's saying bro, but it's saying bro, like exasperated, okay? Um, What about this one? Oh, look, mom's last nerve. I want to touch it. (laughs) Hey, this one happens in our house a lot, okay? And then what about this one? Uh, This is for all you moms. We see you. The kids catch you in the kitchen. What's in your mouth? Nothing. This is is for all the moms who never got to eat a dessert without being bothered, right? So um, today we're talking, we're continuing our series on going forward, and we're talking about this topic today, leaving behind the lies, um, and, and I know that uh, this may, it may seem odd for a Mother's Day message, and really this is for, for everybody. This is for all of us, uh, men, women, and uh, children, and everybody in between, right? If, is there anybody else, <laughs> right? Men, women, and children, that's all of them, right? Okay, but uh, we, this is for everybody. And, and so before we go any farther, I know me, and if you've been here any length of time, you know me. And as my discipler, a uh, lady in her late 70s when I was in high school, uh, as she once said to me, John, you have the gift of continuance. And so what I'm going to do this morning, since we have a limited amount of time, that just went right over your heads, I can tell. The gift of continuance, meaning I don't know when to shut up. So 
Uh, so what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to sum it up in one statement. I'm going to go ahead and give you the statement now, and then we're going to unpack it, okay? So, Roxy, if you'd put that up there. The statement this morning is this. Comparison kills, but truth triumphs. Comparison kills, but truth triumphs. This is our focus for today. And our focal passage this morning comes from John chapter 8. Now, I'm going to tell you a little bit before I go further uh, about Bible translations. There's a lot of great Bible translations out there. Everybody has their personal favorites. Everybody has their preferences. I'm going to tell you what I use and what I do. When I study, when I study, I like to study the New American Standard uh, translation. That's me. It, it is... It is uh, uh, it seems to, to uh, follow the more of the, the literal interpretation a little closer. When I read, I like to use the New Living Translation. The New Living Translation is very conversational, and it gets to the heart of, of the matter. So if you're just reading and you want to understand in context, New Living Translation works really well for me. And then most of the time when I preach, I preach from the ESV, the English Standard Version. That's what Pastor Lynn uses. And so since that's what you guys are used to seeing up here on the screen, typically I do that. This morning, I've done something I haven't done in a long time that I typically get irritated by when I see other people uh, do it, and, and that is I have mixed translations within the notes. And the reason I tell you that up front is because there's so much Scripture. I have enough content in the message today that I told my wife, I said, I, I think I could do an entire series on this one message, and I've only got 30 minutes, so I don't want to do that. I, uh, I want to try to make sure that I can give you what's most important, what's most necessary, and give it to you as quickly as I can. So I've put the verses up on the screen. I've selected the translations that I think are the best for our application this morning. I have tried to be uh, honoring with the text. That is one thing that I'm very, I'm very uh, uh, passionate about. And Pastor Lynn uh, is as well, and you guys uh, know that if you've been here any length of time, that what the text says is what's most important. Not what I think about it, not what he thinks about it, not what you think about it, but what God said is what's most important. So normally, I don't like to throw lots of different translations up there, but I did it this morning, so you either have to trust me or you have to uh, check, check out my facts and then come and prove me wrong. Okay, so here's our passage this morning. Our focal passage is in John chapter 8 verses 31 and 32. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. And Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you, know the, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's our focal passage today. All right, so what does that have to do with Mother's Day? All right, here's what I know about you. Here's what I know about me. Here's what I know about my wife. Here's what I know about my mom. Here's what I know about people I've counseled in my office before, uh, which my office right now is wherever I can find an empty space uh, in this building. We share spaces. But I used to have an office. And anytime that uh, I've met with people, I've come up with these, uh, I've observed these things. And that is that moms, oftentimes, oftentimes moms believe the same lies. And they are some variation of stuff like this. Uh, everybody else's kids are fill in the blank. Everybody else's kids are better behaved than mine. Everybody else's kids are 
smarter than mine. Everybody else's kids are more talented than mine. Everybody else's kids, you, you know, whatever, fill in the blank, right? Another one, uh, everybody else's house is bigger than mine. Everybody else's house is cleaner than mine. Everybody else's house is newer than mine. Everybody else's house is nicer than mine. These are some of the things that I've heard uh, uh, or seen expressed by people. What about marriage? Everybody else's marriage is better than mine. Um, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand right now, but everybody else's life in general, in some way, shape, or form, my life is the pits. Everybody else's life is better. Okay? Let's th- next slide. Some other things that moms believe. Every other mom is better than me. I'm ruining my kids, and I'm a failure as a mom. Now, I'm not going to ask you which ones, but if you've ever believed more than one of those, raise your hand. Let's continue on. What about the rest of us? Well, the rest of us in humanity, we tend to believe lies too. Uh, We say things like, uh, no one else has to deal with what I have to deal with. No one else has experienced what I'm going through. No one else understands where I am right now. Or I can't do it. I can't accomplish what I want to accomplish. Or I can't seem to get past this thing. There's no way I can make this happen. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I'll never be enough. I'll never accomplish enough. I'll never amount to anything. I'm only this. I'm only a bus driver. I'm only a pastor. I'm only a cafeteria lady. I'm only whatever it is you do for your job or whatever role you have somewhere. I'm only this and I'll never amount to anything more. It comes down to things like this. I'm alone. I'm not enough. Everything depends on me. What I do is not important or I don't make a difference. Okay, so if you're in this room and you've ever believed, go back please, if you've ever believed any of those lies, if you've ever believed any of those lies, raise your hand. Okay. Now, what does that mean for us as individuals? If we as individuals believe these kinds of lies, what is the effect of that on our society? Let's take a look. Before we take a look at these, let me say this. Guys, this doesn't matter. This, this applies to all of us. The us and the we in these statements apply to whatever group, whatever subset you want them to apply to. Christians, white people, black people, police officers, it doesn't matter. And the reason I use those examples, guys, is because that's what's going on in our culture right now. That's what's going on in our media. We hear, we have been hearing for years now about how this group is oppressed or this group is the oppressor or whatever, you know, everybody's upset about something. Women are oppressed. Black people are oppressed. Police officers are oppressed. If you're a blue lives matter, black lives matter, uh, female lives matter, whatever it is that's your perspective, everybody has an us. And this is what it comes down to. There's no justice for us. Christians feel persecuted. Police officers feel persecuted. Black people feel persecuted. Asian people feel persecuted. Latino people feel persecuted. It's going, it it doesn't, it doesn't matter who it is. Everybody's got a perspective, but it's always an us. There's no justice for us. There's no fairness for us. The culture's turned its back on us. How many of you police officers in the room have felt that? You don't have to raise your hand, but we know. We know. We should demand to be heard. We should fight for our rights. They don't have a clue what it's like to be us. 
Every group that's angry right now about something believes that lie, that they don't, that they, they, everybody else, doesn't know what it's like to be me, us, we. And they don't care about what we go through. They are wrong, and we deserve better is what that comes down to. Now, all of those things boil down to things like accusation, judgment, insecurity, blame, shame, deception, distraction, omission. And when I say omission, we're talking about half-truths. It's when you, you say something that's true, but you conveniently leave out part of it. How many of you know, how, how many of you have ever known a person that you, you knew you couldn't trust them, but you couldn't put your finger on it? Right? That's it right there. They tell the truth, but they conveniently leave out pieces. It's deception, it's omission, it's half truth. All of this boils down to these two things comparisons and fear. Comparisons and fear. Comparisons and fear are what. Uh, we see being used against us. And how does that impact us? The Bible says this in Proverbs 23, verse 7, for as he thinks within himself, so he is. Let me break that down for you a little bit more. There's lots of different translations you can read of this verse, and some of them sound nothing like this, okay? But let me tell you what it literally means if you were take, to take the text, the original language, what it, this literally says is as one reckons in his soul. As one reckons in his soul. Or in other words, he de- what he decides within his core being, what he believes within his very heart, so he is. So we have a problem, right? Because if we believe lies about who we are, if we believe the lies that that cause us to focus on comparison and fear, then we become the product of the lies we believe according to Scripture. How many of you would agree that's a problem? Is that a problem? That's a problem for me. That's a problem for me. Jeremiah 17, 9 says it this way, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Did you know that your heart lies to you? My kids and I have this conversation often. I have teenagers. (laughs) The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. It grabs onto those lies And it just keeps telling us those lies over and over and over again. Let me say it this way. The problem is for all of us that we are more inclined to believe what our feelings tell us than what the facts show us. We are more inclined to believe what our feelings tell us rather than what the facts show us. Because the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. Your feelings lie to you. My feelings lie to me. Their feelings lie to them, whoever they is. 
Whatever the situation is, our hearts are desperately wicked. And it is so bad that there's no way for us to measure the depth of depravity that following feelings alone will take us. That's huge. That's huge. Let's look at the next slide. Ultimately, the source of the lies is the enemy, Satan. And the motive for these lies is our defeat. Now, this is, this is important because we need to understand there's a source. Because what happens when we feel these things, when we experience these things, we believe, we believe what we feel and we view the source as being within. But the source of the lie is not within. The source of the lie is without. It's planted within. The enemy plants the lie, and his motive is our defeat. Let's look at some passages on this. John 10.10. You know this passage well, probably. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy Satan wants to steal from you what God has put in you. He wants to kill the possibilities that God has for your life. He wants to destroy everything that God has done for you thus far by convincing you to believe the lies. What about this one? You may know this passage, 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. As some passages, some, some versions say be vigilant. It says your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Did you know that? Did you know that Satan is he's prowling about? Have you ever watched cats? Any cat people in here? Like, we got cats. Okay, very few cat people. We got cats. We've got four cats. And my kids love their cats until their cats catch a bird or a rabbit or a squirrel or some cute little woodland creature, right? And then all of a sudden, cat, I hate you, right? You killed that bird. Let it go. And, and that's just what they do. Have you ever seen a cat stalk? They're stealthy. They're quiet. They're calculated. They're intentional. And the Bible says the devil is prowling around like that. And he's seeking to devour you. And Peter's response is, resist him. Stand firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Now listen, why is that part important? Because what has the devil lied to us about? We said earlier in that list of lies, one of the lies is, I'm alone. No one else. No one else knows what it's like. No one else has ever felt my pain. No one else has ever had to go through this. No one else has to face these things that I have to face. And Peter says, to the contrary, stand firm, because what you're going through is the same thing that everybody else is going through. Guys, going back to our society, right? It doesn't matter who the us is. Everybody's dealing with the same lies. Everybody's dealing with the same feelings, the same pain. And they get focused on themselves 
and then gets magnified. Fact is that comparison kills. When we compare ourselves to other people, when we compare ourselves to what's happening to this group or that group, what's happening for this mom or that mom or this dad or that dad or this Christian or, or that Christian or, or this, this uh, other person, if we're, I'm, I'm looking at Jackson over here, he's a football player. If he's always comparing himself, uh, comparing himself to everybody else on the field, he's not focused on what he's got to get done. Is that right? If you're always trying to be better than the guy beside you, it's one thing to try to be a better athlete But it's another thing to be on the field and being more focused on comparing yourself to the person beside you than the task at hand. Is that right? If you're not focused on the task at hand, are you going to succeed? No. See, we we spend our time comparing ourselves, and comparisons kill. John 8. Let's talk about the context here for just a second before we read this passage. In John chapter 7 and 8, Jesus has a series of debates with the uh, Pharisees. Now, you guys may remember who the Pharisees are. The religious leaders, the religious leaders of the day, they had, they had all of the, uh, the power, so to say, among the, among the Jewish people. They had lofty positions. They were uh, well-respected. And uh, through... John chapters 6 through 10, I think, uh, there's a series of debates that Jesus has with them, and it starts at the, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths when he goes into, into the city, uh, and it continues on over the course of, of several different instances. But I want to share with you some of the context here because you got to remember, now the Pharisees were the religious leaders, right? So if you wanted to, to determine whether or not you were righteous, the Pharisees spent their whole lives studying the law and trying to apply the law and live out the law. Okay, thou shalt not. All the prescriptions for uh, uh, good religious living. And if you wanted to compare yourselves to someone, you compared yourself, if you wanted to honor God, you compared yourselves to the Pharisees. Jesus actually says in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. So these people that are, that are interacting with the Pharisees and observing the Pharisees, they, they're comparing themselves to the righteousness of the Pharisees, and they see themselves falling short. I want you to hear, though, what Jesus does here, because Jesus in chapter 7, um, verse 13, it tells us that no one was speaking openly about Jesus for fear of the Jews. See, Jesus showed up in town and he starts teaching and stuff and the, and the people listen to him and they, and they like what he says and they follow him and they, and they hear this truth that they've never heard before and this power and this authority that comes from him and they want, and they want to seek after him and they want to follow him, but it says, yet no one was speaking openly about him for fear of the Jews. And then we continue on. Jesus tells them in chapter 7, verse 24, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. He's talking to the Pharisees. Don't judge according to appearance. What he's saying is don't compare. Don't compare. And then uh, he continues on uh, debating them. He talks about things like uh, whose authority he's, he, he follows? Does he follow the authority of the Pharisees or does he follow the authority of God? And he talks about the fact that he is the living water 
And uh, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And uh, there's, there's some background to why that was so offensive, but, but let's keep on moving. If you go down to uh, chapter 7, verse 43, it says, So a division occurred in the crowd because of Jesus. And then in verse 48, 48 uh, it says um, that the Pharisees were responding to some people, and they said, no one of the rulers of the Pharisees has believed in him. In other words, they're saying, listen, we don't put any stock in what he says, so you shouldn't either, because you're supposed to compare yourselves to us. We're, we're in charge. We're the ones who dictate what, what the uh, standard is, right? Verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 5 says, now uh, in the law, this is, this, you know this story, the lady that was caught in adultery and they brought, the Pharisees brought her to Jesus. And in uh, John 8, verse 5, um, it says they came to him and they said, now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? What are they doing? They are comparing him to their standards. Well, this is what Moses said to do, and they're trying to trick him. They're trying to catch him. Notice what he does, though. Verse 7, but when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and he said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. In other words, do you really want to talk about comparisons? The Pharisees are saying, you know, compare yourself to us. What's your judgment based uh, compared to our judgment? Show us how you would decide this thing. And Jesus said, if you really want to compare don't worry about comparing me and you. Why don't you compare your sin to her sin? Are you sinless yet? Are you sinless yet? Go ahead. Throw the stone. Jesus challenged their comparisons. He continued, verse 15, you judge according to the flesh. I'm not judging anyone. And they asked him in verse 25, they said, who are you? In other words, who do you think you are telling us what to do? Who do you think you are coming in here and changing all the rules? And so what does Jesus say to them? This is our text on the screen here, 43 through 47 in chapter 8. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do the father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God, and the reason why you don't hear them is that you are not of God. So he just pretty much tells them. What, what do we say was the source of the lies before? The source of the lies is Satan, and the purpose is our defeat. He says to them, you don't belong to God. You belong to your father, the devil, and you're speaking his lies. But this is what he said to the people who believed in him. The Jews who were listening to his teachings, this is what he said, verses 31 and 32. He said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I want to break that passage down with you real quick. The word abide is a Greek term minnow. Now, I'm not going to pretend like I remember or even know how to pronounce all of these Greek terms. You can see the transliterations of them up there. But do know that these are the definitions for these Greek terms, and there are the original Greek terms. 
Abide is the Greek term meno, and it means to stay or remain or dwell, to not depart from, to continue in. To dwell is the idea of living. Your dwelling space is your home. It's where you live. You may visit other places, but where do you live? You live in your home. We have a joke around here. Jake tells our drummers, you live right here. You musicians have heard this, right? And the ones that have been up here. You live right here. You visit over here. You live right here. He tells them what drum, what, 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 what area of the drum set to focus on when they're playing. It's the same idea. You dwell. You dwell in a particular place. That's your home. And you may visit other places, but you return there. My word, logos, is the, literally the teachings or instructions of Jesus. The word truly means in accordance with fact, demonstrably, uh, demonstrably valid, and therefore genuine, reflecting true reality. So genuinely. And then the word disciple, don't advance from this screen yet. The word disciple means follower or student or learner. So in other words, he says, if you live in my instructions, you are genuinely my followers. If you live in my teaching, you are generally my followers. The word know, the word know means to know, especially through personal experience or firsthand acquaintance. Luke 1.34 is a passage where it says that the Virgin Mary responded to the angel basically and said, but how can this be so that I would have a child when I have not gnosko, a man. That's this word, no. That's a, that's a biblical representation of to have sexual relations, to know, to know someone physically. That's an intimate, no, go back. That's an intimate no. That's an intimate knowing, experientially, firsthand, up close and personal. Jesus says, you will gnosko the truth. What's the truth? True to fact, reality, not merely truth as spoken, truth of idea, reality, sincerity, truth in the moral sphere, divine truth revealed to man, straightforwardness. In the ancient Greek culture, this term was synonymous for reality as the opposite of illusion. Let me see if I can explain this for just a second. There was another group of people out there, not the Pharisees, there's another group of people out there called the Gnostics. And the Gnostics were teaching that things weren't really physical, that all of our physical experiences were actually spiritual manifestations, that people were, were spiritual beings and that everything was spiritual. And it, it was, it's kind of like, I don't know if you remember the Matrix movies, it's kind of like they, they kind of believe you live in the Matrix. You know, you experience this stuff as reality, but it's physically not there. It's all spiritual manifestation. So everything's really an illusion. It kind of goes with, uh, I don't remember which one it was, Plato or Aristotle or somebody that, that had something called the allegory of the cave, where they said, you know, that, that we only see the shadows on the wall of the cave. We don't see what's really happening. It's kind of that Gnostic idea that everything, that, that reality is really an illusion. It's not physical. And Jesus is saying you will know the truth, reality in opposition to the illusion. In other words, in contrast to your perception. Now that is huge. That is huge. Because the truth that Jesus is talking about is in contrast to what you and I perceive. 
It's in contrast to what you and I feel. It's in contrast to what you and I think. It's in contrast to what you and I believe based on our circumstances. It is truth in reality, not your perception of reality. And when we listen to the lies that the enemy plants within us, we believe the lies and therefore we operate as if we are those things. As a man believes in his heart, as he reckons within his soul, so he is. And we operate as if that's truth and it's really our perception. And Jesus says, if we take this passage, he says, if you dwell in my teaching, if you live in my teaching, if you stay, remain, continue in my teaching, you are genuinely my disciple, my follower, and you will know experientially firsthand the truth in contrast to your perception. Guys, I mean, I hope this makes sense to somebody. I hope this is, it, 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 are, you, are you following me? Are we tracking? Say amen. All right. So what does that mean for us? The next part of this is Jesus said, you will know this truth, and the truth will do what? Set you free. Set you free to release from bondage, to exempt from liability, to deliver, to liberate. Listen, how many of you need to be liberated from your faulty perception of who God says you are? When we believe we're alone and nobody else knows what we're dealing with, when we believe that we're never enough, that we're failures, that God can't use us, how many of us need to be liberated from that? I do. I do. I struggle with this too. Set free. Set free. What's the next slide? I get, get focused. Comparison kills, but Jesus said the truth will set you free. The truth triumphs. That goes back to our phrase. Let's say it together. Comparison kills, truth triumphs. Comparison kills, but truth triumphs. So here's the question. How do we apply it? We just read that Jesus says we have to abide. We have to remain in or continue in his instructions. We talked about Proverbs 23, 7, as you believe in your heart, so you are. What about this verse? You've probably heard this one, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul says in Romans 12, he says, I urge you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual worship. Have you ever thought of your sacrifice of your will? as an act of worship. We come in here and sing songs and we call it worship. But really, worship has to do with us ascribing worth to the one that's due. When we surrender, when we sacrifice our will, that's an act of worship. And Paul continues and he says, don't be conformed to this world. Don't be molded into the shape of this world. Don't believe the lies that this world wants to tell you about who you are or who your people are or where you belong or what's happened to you or what's going to happen to you or what's been wrong, how you've been wronged. I don't care who you are. Listen, I got, a, I got a list a mile long of things people have done to me that I've struggled with forgiving. 
Do you? And it has nothing to do with the stuff in the media. It has to do with my sin as a human being. And Paul says, no, 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 go back. Go back, you're skipping stuff. (laughs) Thank you, though, for keeping me on time best you can. She's trying. She's like, come on, you got more slides. All right, but don't be conformed. Don't be molded into the pattern of the world and the things the world tells you to believe, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what's the will of God. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does that mean? Like literally, this is what I tell. This is what I tell my kids. Like if I tell you, don't think about pink elephants. What are you going to think about? Pink elephants. So if I say, don't believe the lie that you're no good. What are you thinking about? I'm no good. Instead, what you got to do is this. There's a verse, Second Corinthians ten five. It says, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So you got to reach it. You got to literally imagine yourself reaching in, grabbing that thought, grab that lie, grab that lie. Instead of saying, don't think about pink elephants, you say, what do I think about instead of pink elephants? you got to replace the lie with the truth. If you got some, if you got dirty water in the glass and you pour it out, is it empty? Is the glass empty? No, it's not. Something got replaced. The dirty water got replaced with what? Air you got to put something else in. Does that make sense? You can't just say, don't think about pink elephants. you got to say, think about polka-dotted rhinoceroses. Now all you think about is polka-dotted rhinoceroses. Okay? So you say, don't think about the lie that the devil told you that you're no good. You say, you think about the truth of God's word, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Well, replace the word world with your name. For God so loved Violet. He gave his only son. Right? For God so loved Dave, and he gave his only son. For God so loved Lynn, and he gave his only son. Are you worthless? No. Value is determined by what somebody's willing to pay for something, isn't it? We, we could stop right there. You know what I'm saying? Because in terms of replacing the lies, that right there is enough, isn't it, to get us started on the right track? We got to replace, we got to renew our minds, replace the lies with the truth, be transformed by replacing lies with truth. All right, you throw that image up there now. So, something didn't come out right in the slides. This was supposed to be covered up. But let me explain this graphic to you if you've never seen it before. This is how we apply God's word, this is how we abide in the word and replace the lies with the truth. Okay? There's a nice little choo choo train. It's got three, three cars it's got the engine the boxcar, and the caboose. Now I'm going to ask you a question. Can that caboose run without the engine? No. Can it run without the boxcar? Sure it can. But it's got to be attached to what? The engine. Can the engine go without the other cars? Sure it can. Here's the analogy. Truth is truth, no matter whether you believe it or not. If I don't believe in gravity, does that mean that gravity stops affecting me? No. If it's true, it's true. And God's word is true whether you and I agree with it or not. You ever heard people say the, you know, that uh, God said, I believe it, therefore it's settled? You ever heard that expression? Okay, that's false. 
God said it, therefore it's true. All right, it's settled. Whether I believe it or not is, is not the issue. And so truth is truth regardless. Fact is fact regardless. If God said it, it's true, whether we believe it or not. So what's our job? Our job is this. Our job is to attach our faith, the boxcar of faith, to the engine of fact or truth or God's word. Because when we do that, the train can go. Do you mean, do you mean that I can believe something that's true even if I don't feel it? Yeah, I can leave that caboose behind. God, I don't feel it, but I trust you. God, I don't believe it, but I believe you. Like, has anybody else, anybody, am I preaching to myself only? Has anybody else in this room ever had to do that? I can tell you right now, there have been some times when it's like my feelings tell me exactly the opposite of what God's word says, and I have to make a decision. God, am I going to believe you, or am I going to believe my wicked, deceitful heart? Jeremiah 17, 9. We attach our faith to fact. That train, that, that caboose on that train makes a horrible engine. Likewise, your feelings make a horrible God. And when we believe what our feelings tell us above what God has said, our faith is going nowhere. As a matter of fact, the only way that caboose is pulling that boxcar of faith is one direction. Because of gravity, it's only going to pull that boxcar downhill. Downhill is all you're going to get. And it's only going to stop when it gets to the bottom. So how do we apply God's truth? Here's some practical examples. These notes are actually on our website so that you can take a look back at these verses and look them up. But we apply his truth to the lies. Luke 9, 23, Jesus said that if anybody would be my disciple, he must first deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. In John 13, 35, he said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, and by this all people will know that you belong to me, that you're my disciples, by the way you love one another. Let me tell you something. You ever deal with unlovable people? Moms, do you ever get frustrated with the unlovable nature of your children? They got it. They got it from you. Mine got it from me. <laughs> you know, we're all wicked people, right? But we love in a way that represents Jesus. Forgiveness, forgiveness flows naturally from that. Romans 12, 14 says not, not to curse those uh, who, who've wronged us, but to actually bless them. You know, like forgiving somebody, like letting go of the wrong is hard enough. Try blessing somebody who's done wrong to you on purpose. It is hard. It is hard. But you know what? When we do that, Jesus said, you look like me. Be an example. Matthew 5, 14 through 16 is the part where Jesus says, uh, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. You don't, you don't light a candle and put it under a basket. You put it up on a lampstand and it lights a whole house. So likewise, uh, you know, you're to go and, and, and light, show you the light, my light to other people, basically, paraphrase. The idea here, guys, I like this example, the idea of a lighthouse. You know, the lighthouse, when, when, when ships are looking for the shore in a storm at night, they look for the lighthouse. And when they see the light, 
they, they know that's the lighthouse. And when they see that light, they think the, the lighthouse is the source. But the lighthouse is not the source of the light. There is a light inside that lighthouse. There is a source for the light. The lighthouse just reflects and distributes the light. If that light source is gone, that lighthouse is useless. And Jesus says, you are my lighthouse. You're the light of the world. You have my light within you. Let it shine. Let it shine to people and be an example. And by this, they'll come to know me. All right, these are just a few different ways. And we talked about this one. You can skip past that one. And we renew our hearts and our minds. Here's some verses about if you're feeling alone. We said uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has uh, come to you except that which is common. Common, common, common. What What does that mean? That means everybody has gone through the same thing. You're not alone. You're not the only one. God's not turned his back on you. Don't compare. Romans 14, 4, it says, who are you to judge another one's servant? Don't compare yourself to somebody else. Don't compare yourself to your teammates on the team. Compare yourself to the task that needs to be done. Compare yourself to what it is that you were called to do. You may fail, but it doesn't make you a failure. Proverbs 24, 16 says, a righteous man falls down seven times, but he gets back up. Okay? That's why I said there's a lot of verses that here. Moms, what about you? It's not your job to re- prevent the chaos in your home or even manage it. Your job happens in the midst of the chaos as you teach your children to reflect the light of Christ, to take captive the lies, apply the truth of God's word, and abide in it, live it out. Deuteronomy 6, what does Deuteronomy 6 talk about? It says that you're to teach your children and your children's children the commandments of God. And it's, this is how it says to do it. You could go read the verses on your own, but this is how it, it says to do it. It says, teach them these things when you get up, when you go to bed, when you go to work, when you sit down at the table, when you're walking by the way, when as you're doing life, as you're in the midst of the chaos of life, teach your kids the commands of God. Let me tell you this. Moms, there was only one perfect parent, right? And that's God the Father. And his children disobey all the time. So your job is not to make sure your children turn out perfect. Young moms, figure that out now. <laughs> Young parents, figure that out now. Older parents, let yourself off the hook, right? If your, parent, if your kids haven't gone the way you wanted them to. Your job is not to create perfect people, Oh, I saw that. <laughs> Don't look at me. Don't look at me, Mom. Uh, <laughs> um, you, that's, that's not your job. Your job is to instruct them, and, and God, uh, that's between them and God. So if you and I were to abide in God's truth, we've got to wrap it up. Let's bow your heads with me for just a minute. If you and I were to abide in God's truth completely, how would that change our homes? How would that change our families? How would that change our community and our world right now? We're, we're dealing with we're dealing with issues in our world that are crazy right now. How would it look different if the people who belong to Jesus of all kinds of backgrounds and cultures would come together and just say, hey, we're going to stand on the truth of God's word together. What lies do you need to leave behind this morning? I want to challenge you this morning before we go. What is God talking to you about today that you need to leave behind? Are there any lies that you have believed that you need to exchange for God's truth? If you need to do that this morning, we're going to give you an opportunity right now. 
If you need to, if you need prayer, uh, I'm here. Pastor Lynn is here. We have leaders and deacons around the room who are willing to talk to you. Um, and maybe you've never experienced the love and grace and forgiveness of Christ. Maybe you've, maybe you don't belong to Him yet. Maybe the lie you're dealing with is that somehow you've got to be good enough for God to love you. Maybe the lie you're believing is that you don't need God's forgiveness because you're not really that bad. I don't know where you are, but wherever you are this morning, whatever it is that God's dealing with you on, we want to offer you the opportunity to respond to that. Father, we, um, we thank you, Lord, this morning that your truth is triumphant. And I pray, Father, for each person in this room that you'd help us to not compare ourselves um, based on the lies of the enemy. But help us, Lord, to lean into your truth. Wherever folks are this morning, I pray, Lord, that they would get, get their hearts right with you. They deal with whatever issues are before them. And Father, help us all who belong to you already to walk out of here today more surrendered, more convinced, more determined to abide, to dwell in your truth so that we can honor Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. If you guys would stand, if God's speaking to you this morning, we want to encourage you to come forward. If you need prayer, come see us. If you just need to talk to him for a minute, that's, that's available as well. Are you in need of greater peace in your life? It is possible, and it starts with being at peace with God. Just pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I realize I need you and your forgiveness. I invite you to be the boss of my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I receive you as my Savior and Lord. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, we'd love to talk to you. We're here to pray with you, to love you, and offer support. Please contact us at day3church.com. We care about you, and we want to connect with you. Until next time, this is Pastor John reminding you that God is greater than your circumstances and His mercies are new every morning. It's time to experience a new day in your life.